Good morning. I don't know about you, but I could have listened to the worship a lot longer. I enjoyed that. I appreciated the spirit of worship this morning. It was good to be here. Bring you greetings from our church in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, I still think it's cold here. (laughs) But uh, my wife uh, was not able to come along with me. She travels with me most of the time, and uh, last, uh, last minute we got word that her family from Honduras is coming for the weekend. And I'm the bad in-law that had to be gone while they're here, so uh, I'm going to fly back as soon as I can to spend a little bit of time with them. I want to share with you what I believe is the second most valuable piece of information that you will ever hear. Now, you might say I'm holding out on you if I'm not sharing the most important, but I'm going to share with you what I believe is the second most valuable piece of information you will ever hear. How many of you would like to know what the first is? I think you already know it, but the first most valuable piece of information I believe that you can hear is that Jesus Christ loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. Now, if that doesn't excite you, your exciter is broken. Because Jesus Christ, Almighty God, wants a personal relationship with you. How many of you are married here today? How many of you are not married? How many of you would like... Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> I know Willie is here somewhere. They're about to get married. Somebody back there in the back. Those of you that are married, do you have a relationship with your spouse? How do you have a relationship with your spouse? What do you do? What is one thing that you do to have a relationship with your spouse? This would be the time that you interact with me. What is it? Communicate. Communicate. That means it's a two-way, like, you talk and she listens. I mean, (laughs) that didn't sound right. You get, it's back and forth. And what do you have to have in order to have great communication? You have to learn to understand someone. The second most valuable piece of information that you will ever hear is to learn how to communicate and relate to the people around you. And I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to look in Scripture and see how Christ did it. See how the Apostle Paul did it. See how... Peter did it. We're going to look at all kinds of different personalities. And so the first part of the message this morning is going to be a little like a seminar. Is that okay if we do that? You're going to feel like you're a little bit more at the seminar. And then we're going to bring you back into church. Is that okay? I'm looking at the leadership team here. I I hope it is. Okay. So there are four types of personalities in the world. Only four. There's the D-type, the I-type, the S-type, and the C-type. That's why we call it DISC, D-I-S-C. The D-types are very dominant, decisive, dogmatic, determined doers. Donald Trump would be in that class. Very strong. They see the big picture. They don't look at the details. They want to make things move. They want to push things. They, they're what we call the terminators. They terminate things. They're so focused on the result that they, are, are, they forget that there's people between them and the result and that people have feelings. They're the ones that say, feelings will grow back. Is that me? Feelings will grow back. 
And so they're a dominant style person. Paul was a dominant style person. We're going to look at him in a little bit later. I want to just kind of establish the four types. And then you have the I-type, the fun-loving, the inspiring, the inducing, the uh, interactive, the interested in people, the impressionable type person. These are the fun-loving people like Peter. These are the fun-loving people like um, the people that when they walk into the room, the, 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 the energy just comes up. They're the, they're the fun-loving people. They love people because people are exciting. And then you have the S-type person. People that are supportive, they're steady, they're stable, they're sweet, they're shy. I want you to think of Mother Teresa. The S-type people make weird sounds. They make sounds like this. Oh, mm, bless your heart. They just ooze with empathy. They love to serve. They love to support. They don't want to be the one that's making a decision and blazing a trail. They want to support and clean up and help, and they bring casseroles. And then you have the C-type person, which is very cautious, calculating, competent, critical thinking, um, sometimes cold. These are your doctors, your lawyers, your engineers. These are the people, that they're the people that are responsible for, they're why buildings don't fall over in a hurricane. Aren't you glad for the C-type? The C-types are very form, function, planning, process. In other words, they're not people-oriented. And I wish I could draw something up here. I'd draw you the model of human behavior um, I, I won't go into that because it would help you to understand and, and see something. But the C types and the D types are very task oriented, and then the I type and the S types are very people oriented. But they're different. The I's are excited about people, the S love people because they're sincere about people. The I's find humor in people, and sometimes at their expense. The S's find humor in things and, and uh, objects and circumstances, and they're much more sincere with their love towards people. Let's look over on the task side. The task side, the D's, the, they, they want to terminate things, get things done, build big buildings. These are the, the big pictures, people. They want results quickly. And the C-types... They also are result-oriented, but they want it done perfectly. They want it quickly, uh, uh, quality. I have a friend that hired his dad-in-law, who was a high D, and my friend is a high C. He hired his dad-in-law to help build his house. My friend fired his dad-in-law because the uh, floor, the, the stairwells, didn't match perfectly. The miter cuts didn't match perfectly. High D's use a lot of wood putty. <laughs> they slap it together. It's the biggest. It's the best. And they get done quickly. But perfection is lacking. So I, I, I did my best to quickly try to paint a picture of the four types of personalities. I'm going to ask you two questions that I want you to answer for yourself. You can ask these two questions anywhere there's a human being, regardless of, of uh, whether it's cold, hot, desert, mountains, where, wherever there's human being. These two questions will help you to determine what is your highest predominant trait. The first question is, are you more outgoing 
or reserved. And if I would have a, um, a different audience without children that would be left alone, I would actually get you to answer these questions by standing up and coming forward or going to the back if you're reserved and coming forward if you're outgoing. But we won't let the children would be sitting there by themselves. But if you're more outgoing, outgoing people tend to move at a fast pace. They make mistakes faster and they also make success happen faster. Their facial expressions are much more, you know, like Donald Trump. His, facial, his face does things that I don't even know how he does it. And his hands are moving and, and he's, you know, he's, he's not guarded like the outgoing person or, or the reserved person. The reserved person is very guarded. Now, my wife is a very reserved type person. And when we play cards with friends in, in Florida... She keeps her cards right here, looking at them and making sure that I'm not looking at them. I have my cards and I'm talking to people and I forget that I'm playing a game and, I'm, and she says, honey, your cards are showing. I'm like, yeah, it's a great hand. And I show them to everybody and it really makes her mad because I win most of the time. But a reserved individual tends to be more guarded than an outgoing person. In, in lots of different areas. So I'm going to ask you the question, are you more outgoing or are you more reserved? Answer that question about yourself in your mind. And imagine that if I would get you to move, reserved people would be in the back of the room and the outgoing people would be up here. Okay, so does everybody kind of know where they would be? This is virtual reality, okay? Does everybody know where they would be? Raise your hand if you know where you're supposed to be, either in the back of the room or the front of the room. Reserve people in the back and the outgoing people up front. The second question that you can determine what is their second or what is their highest personality trait is, are you more task-oriented or are you more people-oriented? Now, a task-oriented person will be outside raking their yard very intently, looking down at every stroke, making sure everything works. And, and all the while, they're thinking that the friendly neighbor doesn't come out and start talking because the work has to get done. Very, and, and sure enough, here comes the friendly neighbor and they start talking, but the work goes on because it's more process, more task over people. A people-oriented individual will be outside raking their yard like this. The rake is actually upside down because they didn't even check. And they're just looking around, where is a human? And as soon as they see a human, the rake gets dropped and they go to Starbucks and they go shopping and they just have tons of fun. It's people over process. Now, to answer that question about yourself is a little bit harder because I'm sure there's nobody here that absolutely hates work. And I'm sure there's nobody here that absolutely hates people. So that's a little bit harder because you're a blend, especially if you're in the Mennonite and Amish background because we were taught to work really hard. Praise God for that. But answer that question. If you're more task-oriented or people-oriented, okay? Now remember, you're, you're split up. The reserve people are back there and the outgoing people are here. I'm going to, this is the first time I'm doing it virtually, to be honest with you. I've never done it like this before. Stay in these two groups, but if you're more people-oriented, I want you to move over to that side of the room. So in other words, we're going to create four different groups. 
Okay? So if you're more people-oriented, stay over on this side. And if you're task-oriented, go to this side. Outgoing people up here. Reserve people in the back. People-oriented and uh, task-oriented. Does that make sense? Okay? Who all would be in this group up here? Raise your hand, high and proud. You're the high D-type people. If you're outgoing and uh, task-oriented, okay? Raise your hand again. I want to see who they are, okay? This would be the high... These are the dominant, decisive, dogmatic, determined doers. Who, who would be over here? Okay, all right, good. He's, he's like, pick me, all right? The I-type person, very inspiring, inducing, interested in people. They, they love people. They're excited to see people. They don't want to work alone, Work should be fun. If it's not fun, I'm not doing it. Who is in the back corner, reserved and uh, people-oriented? Raise your hand. I know it's, you're shy. You want to... Okay. These are the nicest people. In this. Mother Teresa would be in this crowd. They, they're the ones that make the weird sounds that bring the casserole and all of that. Who's back in this corner? The high C's. These are the smartest people in the world. Now, there's some familiar faces in here. I see Joel and Annie. Joel and I go way back. It's good to see you, Joel. Um, There's some other. So, but a lot of you I've never seen before, I met. But if you were standing in this corner, I could tell you how you live your life. How many people that would be up in this group, their spouse would be back in that group? The S's. Raise your hand. If you're, if you're up in this group, your spouse is back there. One, okay. 90% of the time, these two marry each other. Here's what happens. The D's look at the S's and say, you're so nice. How can you be nice? I wish I could be nice like that. The S's look at the D's and say, I wish I could. You're such a jerk, but I, I wish I could get something done once in a while like you do. You seem to make big things happen, and they're attracted to each other. How many of you have heard opposites attract? How many of you have heard opposites attack? They do. What about this way? If you're the high I and the high C's, how many, how many spouses are in this group? Right? That's where my, I'm, I'm a D-I, I'm equal D-I, but my wife is a C, high C. Her favorite thing to tell me is, Dave, I need you to think. I think thinking is boring. It's, it's not fun. I like to do. Here's how I describe the relationship with my wife and I. I'm an exciting guy. I'm a dominant, inspiring guy. That's I, I'm not really shy. I don't know if y'all figured that out. I help my wife live a little bit. She helps me live a little bit longer. She's the person that says, Dave, you need to think about this. You need to put a parachute on before you jump out of the airplane. I'm like, I'll figure it out on the way down. It'll all be good. She has been invaluable to me. I surround myself with the people that used to drive me crazy. 
I'm just, is it okay if I just get real here and talk about real-life relationships? I used to think that there was an entire class of people that were designed by God to reign on my parade. And they were the high C's. My school teachers were all high C's. Here's the deal. Most school teachers are C's and S's. I'm a high D.I. I'm a dominant smart aleck. (laughs) That's what I was when I was a kid. And I always heard, David, be quiet. David, straighten up. David, think. That's not how you do it. And it felt like they were always popping my balloon. I remember as a kid, I saw my mom like flipping pancakes. And I'm a high D. I want to put it in high gear. I said, we got to fix this up. we got to create an automatic pancake flipper. And I told my brother Gary, who was a high C, I'm going to create an automatic pancake flipper so my mom doesn't have to do it one by one. He said, that's a dumb idea. That's how I felt. All through life. Until the sixth grade, Mr. Witt, first day of school, looked out the window and said, guys, it's too pretty of a day to have school inside. Take your desk outside. We're going to have class outside. I was like, thank God. There is one and he loves me. It was like he understood that I need excitement. My wife finally figured out that I need excitement. I'm still learning that my wife, it's okay for her to be bored for the rest of her life. What I think is bored. Now, my wife is a wonderful lady. She's from Honduras. Her name is Tony. She's a wonderful lady, but I really have to twist her arm to take her out to eat. She's so logical. She says, why would we go out to eat If we have a freezer full of food at the house, I'm thinking because there's people, and I've been in this house for 14 years, I know every nook and cranny, let's go do something, let's go see something new. But she is perfectly okay with being at home. She loves being at home. There was about a month in our marriage, about five years ago, that a king-sized bed just wasn't big enough. Y'all know what I mean? Don't act all pious on me up here. Y'all know what I mean. It was like our relationship wasn't right. We weren't hitting on all four cylinders. Have y'all ever been there? Yeah, some of you are honest. Or not married. (laughs) And it was at the point where I thought we were in trouble because a month long, I call it intense moments of fellowship. It was where we were trying to connect, but instead we hit each other and that made us more upset at each other and we just were being selfish. That's really what we were both being selfish. And I called Dr. Rome, who is the world's leading authority on relationships, and I told him what was going on and and Tony was on the phone with us. We agreed that we needed help. He says, David, you have to go to SeaWorld. Cool. I've been in Florida for like uh, up to that point eight years, and I have never been to SeaWorld. And he says, no, 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 no. You have to go to Sea 
world. You have to see life the way a sea sees it. And he looked at Tony, he talked to Tony, he says, Tony, you have to understand, Dave needs adventure. He needs excitement. He needs you to provide him that adventure. And so we started working on that, and I started being, stopped being selfish with my personality and thinking that I had to have adventure all the time and new things. I hate leftovers. I've had them before. Why would you eat leftovers again? I want something brand new. I love going out to eat. So uh, we started working on that and adjusting our, our uh, personalities and our behaviors, really, adjusting our behaviors. And I'll never forget, I come home from work, I was around people all day, it was, I was working, I had just been awarded a huge contract, $60,000 worth of business, and I was excited, I, man, I was, I was ready to go celebrate, let's go skydiving, scuba diving, I don't care, let's just go do something. I come home, my wife is working all day with our employees, training them. People drain her batteries. I come home, she's on the couch, emotionally dead. I'm up here. And immediately I think, you've got to go to SeaWorld. And I was just praying, man, I hope Tony remembers to go to iWorld. So we can meet in the middle and go do something. Here's what I did. Instead of being all excited and first, you know, hey, you got this award. Let's do this. Let's go uh, celebrate. I, I just went and poured her a glass of water and, and picked up her feet and started rubbing her feet. It was the most boring 15 minutes of my life. But I started serving and just uh, inside I was like this, but outside I was like an S. I'll never forget what Tony did. She sits up and she says, I was thinking that maybe we could go out for dessert. We haven't even had dinner at that point. And I realized at that moment, it's just as hard for her to be adventurous as it is for me to be boring. And, I, and something clicked. And I said, it's, it's my fault. I was being selfish. I was throwing my D-ness, my I-ness on her and wanting her to be like me. Instead of valuing for who she is and how God created her. And adjusting my behavior so that she feels valued. And here's what was happening. I was up here being excited and she was all down here being dead. And she raised it up and I lowered it. And we came together and we, that night, went and restored our marriage after a month-long dry spell over a chocolate cake about that big downtown Sarasota. Some of you need to go have a chocolate cake. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your kids, maybe with your son, maybe with your employee, maybe with your preachers. Some of you need to have that restoration. Stop being selfish with your personality and start meeting people where they're at. This is the whole thing about DISC. Is not so I have the license to say I'm a high D, get out of my way, I'm coming through. 
Or I'm a high I, let's go have a party. Or I'm a high S, let's hold hands and sing kumbaya around a campfire. (laughs) Or to start a law firm. It's about adapting and relating. Adapting and relating. Do it with me. Adapting and re- everybody do it with me. Adapting and relating. Adapting and relating. Adapting and relate. Do it a thousand times every day. Jesus was the perfect example of adapting and relating. I want to look at some scripture and we'll look at. Um, wow. Time goes fast. Um, I want to look at some scripture here and look at Paul. Paul was a high D type person. I won't read all the scriptures, but in Romans 1, 8 through 17, if you read that, you'll notice some get it done statements that Paul writes. Uh, and, and, and the D's don't ask questions. They make statements. So Paul was a rambunctious, ferocious dogmatic, determined doer before he was a Christ, killing Christians because he thought that was the right thing to do. After a Christian, he was a dogmatic, determined, ferocious person, saving Christians for the kingdom of God because that was the right thing to do. It's just a change of not personality, but direction. A lot of people say that as a Christian, you should not be able to tell you, you know, what you are on a person. I disagree. Look at Paul. Paul was a very dominant style person. Shipwreck, it's not going to stop me. I have fought a good fight. He loved to fight. He loved to conquer. He loved to push. Without Paul, we wouldn't have the scripture that we have. Then we look at Peter. Peter is the guy, I think we're too hard on Peter. What do you think of when you think of Peter? What's the first thing you think of? Impulsive, that's an I word. He's the guy that saw Jesus walking on water and says, dude, that looks like fun. If you're really him, tell me to come out there. I think we give him too hard a time because, you know, we criticize him for taking his eyes off. But you know what? He's the only one that got out of the boat. He's the only one that got on the roller coaster. He's the only one that said, that looks so exciting. I want to do that. He was very impulsive. He, he was going for the head. But he got the ear. These people walked with Christ, but yet their personality still came through. And Christ let them have their personality because he gave it to them. He wants you to use your personality in the glory, for the glory of God. Peter had this amazing ability to open his mouth and insert his foot. High eyes have this amazing ability to open their mouth and things, words just come out. Sometimes, you know, they're illogical. That's another I word, illogical. I'm reminded of the little boy who came back from school from summer vacation and the teacher said, hey, who wants to share what they did over summer vacation? And little Johnny's like, pick me, pick me. I want to do it. I want to say it. I have something. And sure enough, the teacher picked Johnny. And Johnny said, my daddy took me catfish fishing. And, and we caught 47 catfish. And every single one of them were 47 inches long. And the teacher said, now, Johnny, are you sure? Said, yes, ma'am. 47 of them and 47 inches long. Teacher said, Johnny, now, if I told you 
that I was out running in the woods and a bear comes up and grabs me and is just about ready to crush my skull and out of the corner of my eye I see a chihuahua puppy come up and grab the bear by the throat, shake it to death and kill it. Would you believe me? Johnny said, yes, ma'am, that was my puppy. (laughs) Very illogical. They make a fish seem this long when it's actually this long. We look at the S-type person, John. John is the one that said, just call me the other disciple or the, the person that Jesus loved. I love this picture. When Jesus was on the cross dying, He saw his mother Mary down there, and he sees Peter and John and everybody there. And he said, he didn't say, hey, Peter, there's my mother. Take care of me. Who did he pick? He picked John, the supportive, caring, sharing type person that just oozes empathy because I don't know about you, but I want to S to take care of my mom if I'm not able to. I want to S to take be at a nursing home if I ever am put in a nursing home. I don't want a D. No way. I don't want an I-type doctor. I want a C-type doctor. Yeah, he might be a little bit cold on the diagnostic, but I know he's going to be exact. And then we look at Thomas. What is the word that we give Thomas? Before we say his name, we say a word. What is it? Doubting Thomas. One thing I know for sure, the C-types, they doubt everything. They want proof. They don't take somebody saying it. In fact, three people came to Thomas and said, Christ rose. Three people that actually walked with Christ. He walked with them in Christ. People that he could trust. And they said, Christ rose from the dead. And Thomas said, yeah, I'm not going to believe it until I can see it. First thing Christ did when he walked into the room, he says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands right here. See, Jesus knew disc. I'm sure he did. He created it. Maybe he didn't know D-I-S-C in the way that we do, but he knew Thomas. He said, come here. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. And then what does Thomas say? Now that I have seen, I believe. Christ said, blessed are those that have not seen but still believe. Christ used a highly quality, perfectionist-type person to say he really, truly did rise. I've seen it with my own eyes. Here's what I know about C's. If they say something, you can take it to the bank. A lot of people ask me, what kind of personality was Jesus? I don't like that question because it feels like I'm putting Jesus in a box, but... People still ask me, so I'm going to tell you what I think his personality blend was. I think it was either a CSID or an SCID. If you look at his leadership style, his teaching style, he, how, did he, how did he teach? If somebody asked him a question, what would he do? He'd ask a question right back. My high, high C wife does that all the time. I see her with a jacket on. I say, honey, are you cold? She says, I have a jacket on, don't I? If I see her eating at 2 o'clock, I say, honey, are you actually hungry? She says, I'm eating, aren't I? See, they want you to use logic. 
so that they, you can come to a logical conclusion. It makes sense that if she has a jacket on, she would be cold. Jesus actually taught in that way, but yet at the same time, he was very, very supportive and serving and energetic, uh, like energetically supportively. I mean, he was, he, so I believe it was SC first. Those two were the highest. There was a time in Scripture, I'm sure you're thinking of it, the only time in Scripture that I can see that Jesus was a high D. Anybody want to say when? Back there in the back, young man. That's right. Good job. A high D can be one of the most dangerous people, dangerous beings on the planet if they are out of control. When they're under control, they can be the most powerful being on the planet. Which would you rather be, powerful or dangerous? I'd rather be powerful. I could tell you stories. I'm a high D. I'm off the charts a high D of when I was under control and I moved mountains, meaning people, in a very effective way. I don't have enough time to share those stories. I'm out of time already. But I can also tell you the time that I was out of control and I sent somebody to the hospital. In other words, I learned karate in like two seconds. And I was out of control. I'm not proud of that. But an out-of-control person, a high D, can be very dangerous. But Jesus, I believe, was under control. How do I know that? Because it says he sat down and he braided a whip. Out of control person would not sit down and braid a whip. And we're not talking about a little group like this. We're talking about thousands of people. The courtyard was huge, like a really big courtyard, thousands of people. And one man moved that whole crowd in a very effective way. Pretty sure if I would start throwing over tables here, somebody, probably Joel, would come up and challenge me. And slow me down a little bit. But it, Scripture doesn't say that, that one person challenged Christ. I believe it was because he was under control and they never saw such power. There's a place for high Ds. There's about 10% of the world is estimated to be high Ds. Do you all know why that is? Because of the grace of God. They couldn't handle more high Ds. I believe Jesus was under control as a high D. I believe Jesus knew how to have fun. I don't believe he was silly. I don't believe he was frivolous. It says in Scripture, children would come to him. So much so that the disciples said, hey, he doesn't have time for you. And Jesus said, no, let him come. I believe he was a fun-loving person. I don't believe he was out of control, but I believe he was under control. I believe when he turned the water into wine, he probably said, Peter's going to freak out about this. Watch Peter when I do this. I think he knew. I think when he turned the, the, the loaves and the, the fish into feeding the 5,000, I believe that was an exciting moment for him. I believe he was playing. I believe he knew how to have fun. Children don't come to a crabby, crusty old man. They come to a person that knows how to have fun, and I believe he did. The S and the C, I'm going to turn to that. Go to John 11, 1 through 44. John 11, 1 through 44. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. This is where, um, this is where Lazarus dies. 
When I read this, I was, I was like, I, I want to be able to do this. So basically what happened, I'm going to t- kind of tell two stories, one about Thomas and one about uh, uh, Jesus here. Uh, the disciples, Jesus and the disciples were in Bethany, and it was a hot spot for persecution, but that's where Lazarus lived. And they had to flee Bethany because the pressure was getting pretty hot. And so they left. They get to the next town, and somebody sends word that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, guys, we got to go back to Bethany. Read it for yourself. The first thing Thomas says, yeah, let's go back so that we too can die. That's a typical C statement. Because my wife sees the five things that could go wrong... When there's 500 things that could go right. They're cautious. They're calculating. They're critical thinking. Thomas said, yeah, let's go back there. So that He was walking with Christ. He saw Christ calm the water. He saw Christ raise him from the dead. He saw all these miracles. But yet Thomas still doubted because it's in his personality. So they start going back and Martha... If you read prior scripture, I believe she was a high C as well. Remember the story where Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus making weird sounds? Not really, but worshiping, loving, supporting. Mary was a high S. Martha was a high C. Mary, get off and let's get to work. We got work to do. You shouldn't be just sitting there. You should be doing something task-oriented. So Martha, a high C, Mary, a high S. Jesus and them come walking back to see Lazarus. Martha walks up and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus would not have died. And what does Jesus do? He starts talking to her, not consoling her, talking to her, says, Well, your brother's going to live again. Martha says, yeah, I know. In the last days, he's going to live again. And they literally start having a seminar. He's like teaching her and explaining things to her. And then 15 minutes later, here comes Mary up the same path and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus would not have died. And I read it, and I was like, I went back. That's the same thing Martha said, word for word. What does it say that Jesus did with Mary? Shortest verse in Scripture. Jesus wept. I went back and I read it several times just so I could understand that, and I realized what was happening. Martha, the high C, she had answers that needed to be, questions that needed to be answered. She had a mind problem. C's live in the mind. My wife says, Dave, I need you to think. I say, honey, I need you to live a little bit. Martha had a mind problem, and Jesus knew that. Mary had a heart issue, and Jesus wrapped his arm around and just wept with her. I said, sign me up for that class. I want to be able to relate to two different people in the same circumstance and minister, because here's what adapting and relating is all about. Adapting is, and I forget your name, but I'm going to use you as an example, Joe. Joe, you're not like me, and I'm not like you, right? That's adapting. Relating is when I give up myself, give up my personality, give up my behaviors. Who else taught that? Christ. 
and serve Joe for who Joe is. In other words, adjust my style. Stop being selfish. That's why a lot of people say that as a Christian, you should be, it should be hard to determine what kind of personality. But here's the whole thing. Just learn to adapt and relate. Follow Christ's example. That's my prayer that that's why I, I do this. I travel all over the country and I train employees. I train people. I work with churches. Most of your pastors have an S-type personality. A true pastor's heart is a shepherd's heart. It's a supporting type, the kind that, oh, that's a true pastor. But yet the laity is looking at the pastor and say, why aren't you the trailblazing pastor that says this is the way it's going to be? It's not their style. So I work with groups and individuals and corporations and churches and school teachers to learn how to adapt and relate. And that's my prayer that this church here could learn how to adapt and relate to each one of you because that gives God the most glory. I'm going to turn the time over to uh, Brent.